0: This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
1: On this Tuesday, December 6th, we welcome you to Real Talk. Jesperson in with John Hicks. In uh, just a moment, we're going to be checking in with a uh, cattleman and a conservationist, Tom Lynn Stanton, about COP15 uh, Biodiversity Conference, UN Biodiversity Conference coming up. Canada plays host. It's coming up uh, uh, just shortly, and we're going to be talking about environmental perspectives in Canada, priorities where the country needs to go, how we're doing on conservation, and of course, why this conversation is so important. Uh, on the heels of COP27, of course, we were talking about that, you know, on this show, we checked in. Uh, several times to the UN Climate Change Conference in Egypt. This follow up, uh, treated separately, but the solutions to overcome these climate and environmental crises intertwined. We'll also take a look at the FTX crypto crisis. What a collapse! What a disaster uh, that sent shockwaves uh, through the entire cryptocurrency world and has certainly influenced conversations. As Sam Bankman Freed, the CEO of that uh, FTX crypto exchange, obviously now uh, being analyzed, he says he's going to appear before Congress. But People are trying to figure this guy out, trying to figure this story out. How did this happen? Why did this happen? Chris Clearfield is going to join us. Uh, Chris, the uh, chief executive officer of Clearfield Group, and he's the author of a book called Meltdown. He takes a look at why systems fail, basically. He had a recent op-ed in the Globe and Mail, and he's going to talk to us about that. That's coming up in about a half hour's time. Across Canada, of course, it goes without saying that December 6th is a day that sticks in memory for horrific reasons. On 1989, a gunman uh, in an anti-feminist mass shooting entered the uh, mechanical engineering class at École Polytechnique in Montreal and claimed the lives of 14 women, separated the women uh, from the men and gunned down using a ruger semi-automatic rifle gunned down 14 women killing them injuring 10 others as well these were women who uh, you have to assume for all intents and purposes were were uh, excited bullish optimistic about their careers their futures in stem but this gunman had other plans for them based on his mission based on his hardwiring based on the convictions that that he had and how he felt about uh, women in particular in the feminist movement, it's prompted conversations, memorials, some political action across the country in the years following. And this year is no different. Don't have to tell you, if you're a member of this audience, you're probably one that pays attention to politics, that the federal government is looking to pass Bill C-21. It'll be changes to Canada's gun laws. We've been touching down on this story and we'll be continuing to look into this story, in the days and the weeks to come. But we cannot ignore the significance of that gun debate and what it's doing to the culture or the climate of conversation across the country right now, including on this anniversary. Look no further to what we touched on on the show yesterday. And if you missed my extended comments on that, I invite you to go back to our archives on YouTube or the podcast. And, of course, you can listen to our December 5th show we told you about the gun advocacy group, the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. You've heard uh, their spokesperson, you've heard their their president, Rod Giltaka, on this show before. Uh, they're they're essentially, although I asked him about this, they they bristle at the comparison as Canada's NRA, but that's as as close or a concise as a description as you can get. They're they're the lobby that represents gun owners, and they're perhaps the loudest critics, indeed the loudest critics of the Liberals' proposed changes in C-21. Well, an advocacy group that operates in memory of the they call Polytechnique shooting victims and their families, the survivors of that attack back in 1989, got into an online tussle, a Twitter tussle with the CCFR. And that's when, as we talked to you about yesterday, the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights released a promo code, POLY, for 10% off their pro-gun ownership merchandise on their website. Of course, that has ignited a firestorm. I mean, it's pissed people off, quite frankly, is what it's done. And yesterday, I told you why I think it's such an insensitive and obtuse move. Sometimes, as I asserted yesterday, I don't feel like things need to be stated because they're so apparent and painfully obvious. But, of course, then a talk show's not doing its job if there's no talking. And the responses to my comments yesterday, have reiterated to me the importance of having this conversation. You know, people jumping up and asking, well, why is it okay for this advocacy group out of Montreal to troll legal gun owners? As if that's an equivalent argument. Or what if the women in that classroom that day had been armed as well and able to defend themselves? Lunacy. What if the folks in the movie theater in Colorado several years ago had handguns too, right? Then they could have fired back the gunman dressed like the Joker that came there to claim their lives. What could possibly go wrong if a wild and frenzied, adrenaline-fueled gunfight broke out in a movie theater? Of course, there are countless other examples of where that logical fallacy applies Now, who's really stepped into one? Now, I guess former Montreal Canadiens goaltender, Canadian hockey legend, and indigenous hunter, Carey Price, who claims that he had no knowledge of the background around this story when he shared his support for and the promo code for the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights, obviously igniting the ire of people across the country. Now, a spokesperson for the Montreal Canadiens has stated that Kerry Price was actually unaware of the École Polytechnique shooting. This is a guy that played more than a decade as one of the greatest all-time Montreal Canadiens, and I choose those words carefully, the point is, Kerry Price endeared himself to Habs fans for 13 seasons. And by divulging yesterday that he had no awareness of this shooting back in 1999, I think it's safe to say that many of his fans believe that either he's lying or that there's a major, major blind spot when it comes to Kerry Price. Now, people are jumping to his defense and saying Kerry Price is an indigenous man. Kerry Price has a family history of hunting. Kerry Price has a cultural connection to hunting. And all of these are valid points, to be sure. And one of the biggest fact-finding missions that we all need to be on as we evaluate gun laws in Canada, as we have this raging gun debate, can I say it's unfortunate that we're having this amid the anniversary of this horrific mass shooting? I mean, you could successfully argue that it's more important in the context of a mass shooting than any other time to talk about gun laws in Canada. But Of course, there are thousands, if not millions, of legal gun owners across the country that would probably prefer that these conversations and debates happen outside the context of such a a heinous crime, such a massive national tragedy. Jillian, a good friend of this show, lived many years of her life in Montreal she wrote into talk at Ryan com, says, You don't live in Montreal for over a decade and not know about the massacre at Ecole Polytechnique. Like, it's not bad enough that Kerry Price is positioning himself to be the next Theo Flurry. But now the Habs PR machine insults the intelligence of fans and Montrealers by trying to claim that Carey Price didn't know about the murder of these 14 women who were meant to become engineers? like it doesn't get talked about in Montreal regularly, like the Habs haven't had commemorations and events addressing violence against women? Jill says the really gross part is knowing that the Habs' PR team probably cooked up this ridiculous excuse safe in the knowledge that Price is white-passing enough for it to work. His privilege will earn him the benefit of the doubt from just enough people or at least we presume that's the plan. Nobody wants an NRA-style gun lobby in Canada says Jillian you should be able to defend gun rights for those who need guns like hunters and farmers without belittling or mocking victims of gun violence. You know a discount code polly really you know how low are these folks Canadians are better than that we're smarter than that we should be able to see nuance and differentiate our gun legislation in intelligent ways, in ways that our crazy-ass neighbors to the South seem unable to do. And Carrie Price going all my country, my rights, is embarrassing. And somebody better be yanking hard on Kerry's chain before he slips further down that dumb slope and becomes the next yay. Not from Jillian, out of Montreal. You know, one of my best pals, Sapria DeVetti, Grew up in Montreal as well, born and raised. She had a lot to say about this yesterday on Twitter, and I, and I want to let you know that Supriya and I, in tomorrow's episode of Seriously, are going to be hitting this story, plus zooming it out to the bigger picture, C-21, the bill, changes to gun legislation in Canada. You can check out that podcast at seriouslypod.com. We also make it available on YouTube, and we appreciate everybody that subscribes to that. That's Seriously It's going to be coming out tomorrow. It comes out every Wednesday, a half hour or less. We cut through the noise of the stories that are making news across the country. We'll be looking to your comments on this. You can send your thoughts in to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Probably a good opportunity for some of you to get a trash talk off your chest. We read those every single Friday. Trash talk is presented on this show by local environmental services. Uh, operating in Alberta and Saskatchewan. This is a family-owned business for more than 25 years. I've been providing services across the prairies. Uh, that includes roll-off and front-load bins, uh, residential, commercial, industrial, even agricultural hauling, water included, vacuum truck services, even temporary fencing and portable toilets. You can find out more at localenvironmental.ca. That's localenvironmental services. Proud presenters of Trash Talk since inception right here on Real Talk. We also want to remind you about the McBain camera holiday sale that's happening right now. If you're still looking for that perfect gift for the creator in your life and you want to give them the tools that they need to push out their best possible material, you can save up to $500 right now on a huge selection of Nikon lenses during McBain's holiday sale. For capturing the finest detail, consider picking up Nikon's Z105mm macro lens. This is an unbelievable lens. $100 off right now, plus you can save $200 bucks Off the ultimate real estate and architecture lens. Hey, are you a maybe a realtor? Maybe you're a designer. The Nikon 14 to 24 millimeter, that f 2.8 lens means it can shoot in low light. You're going to get striking imagery. Or, of course, the Nikon Z 100 to 400 millimeter lens, amazing versatility, a great wildlife lens, available at a great price, three hundred fifty dollars off right now at McBain. You can check them out online at mcbanecamera.com to see a full list of Nikon cameras, lenses, and binoculars all on sale for the holidays. And John, for those that are watching on YouTube, you mind giving us a nice, big, wide shot of this studio? This new studio of ours in the historic Mercer Warehouse would not be here without the incredible team at Complete Care Restoration. We put our faith in them after our designers were done with the plans. Their team went to work and troubleshot and problem-solved their way through what wound up as a seamless and successful build. Now, typically, Complete Care Restoration is a full-service disaster restoration contractor. And what I want you to remember is, worst-case scenario, if your family experiences fire, flood, some other act of God, as they call it, You have the choice of which disaster restoration contractor your insurance company works with. We encourage you, based on our personal experience, to ask by name for Complete Care Restoration. And you can check them out online under completecarerestoration.ca. Well, coming up in Montreal, uh, tomorrow it kicks off, December 7th through the 19th. For a couple of weeks, Canada will play host To COP15, you're going to be going, hang on a second, I'm pretty savvy, I pay attention to the news, I know what's going on, and I'm pretty sure a COP conference just wrapped up in Egypt. You're right, COP27, of course, the UN uh, Climate Change Conference, uh, COP actually stands for the Conference of Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, follows up with COP15. Now, it was supposed to happen in China a couple of years ago, but of course, as you know, there have been some interruptions to events uh, due to the course of this pandemic, and and so it's now been relocated uh, to Montreal. It's where experts from around the world will be gathering to talk specifically about biodiversity. We wanted to check in with somebody who's got a, an informed perspective, not just on what's happening around the world, not just the initiatives across the country, but Special expertise on on our neck of the woods, so to speak. Tom Lynch Stanton is currently the regional VP for Alberta with the Nature Conservancy of Canada, but but here's the deal. Uh, This guy has had dust and dirt on his boots from the moment that he was walking. He understands what's happening outside, so to speak. He grew up on and eventually managed a fourth-generation cattle ranch in southwest Alberta. He's also worked for the University of Alberta, the Canadian Cattle Association, Alberta Beef Producers. He's got a Bachelor in Business Administration and an MBA in sustainability, and he continues his love of nature through his work as well as connecting to the outdoors whenever he can. Skiing, hiking, biking, you name it. It's a pleasure to welcome Tom Lynch-Stanton to the program. Thanks for making time for us this morning, Tom, and welcome to Real Talk.
0: Hey, thanks, Ryan, for having me. I'm uh, pretty excited. i uh I'm a big fan of the show, so uh, really excited to be here.
1: Well, that means a lot, and 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 if you know the show, you know that we always want to talk to people that have walked the walk. Uh, we want to talk to people that understand <laughs> the issues, and you know what, Tom? I think when when we pushed out your image this morning as part of our promotion, I thought, I wonder what I wonder what people will think when we stack up cattlemen and conservationists together, because if I can say for a lot of a lot of time, I think people have perceived the ag community. Is doing more harm than good when it comes to conservation. But then we take a look at a story like coal mining in the eastern slopes, and you look at who was making the most noise about that a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago, and it was the cattlemen in the southern part of the province. How do you reconcile the two? What would you say to the audience to set the table for this chat?
0: Well, um, what's interesting, Ryan, is um, you know the especially the cattle industry does get a bad rap um, for. Having environmental impacts, um, and and there's no doubt, you know, we as humans as uh, species do um, have impacts on the on the environment, and some of them are uh, negative, of course. Um, but I would say, you know, as a as a former rancher and and uh, growing up on the land, and then and then being a land manager, that really solidifies in my mind how important. Um, environmental stewardship is to our own well-being and I would say uh, this doesn't come out very often but I would say cattle ranchers across uh, Canada and across the prairies are probably um, some of the first stewards or, or you know secondary stewards of the land um, and and they realize that taking care of that land um, is directly beneficial to their own well-being and uh, having a viable, sustainable business model and managing that grassland.
1: Oh, I, I know that you'll be able to dance with me here as as, as we talk about, you know, let's just talk about Alberta, Western Canada. We can talk about the prairies. We can talk about biodiversity initiatives across the country. And then, of course, around the world, I oftentimes find that the environmental focused conversations when we say, let's take a look at the entire globe, It's it, it, it I won't say counterproductive, but it's difficult because obviously there are so many jurisdictions with so many stories at play. But I'm reading directly from the World Wildlife Fund's website here, World, you know, WWF.ca, and they they talk about biodiversity. They say it's 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 the variety of life on Earth. Uh, you know, obviously the Convention on Biological Diversity, a multilateral treaty, to give our audience some background here, that was opened for signature back in 1992, like 30 years ago, at the Earth Summit in, in Rio, ratified by every UN member of state except for the U.S. By the way with a goal of halting biodiversity loss by 2010 states the website that goal was missed and so at cop in japan in 2010 the world community agreed on a 10-year strategic plan that included these 20 different targets and guess what none of the targets were fully met so it looks to me like loss after loss falling short failure I hate to be the doomsday prophet. I hate to be the cynic, but what's your assessment with regards to why there hasn't been progress here if it's such a priority?
0: It's a really good question, Ryan. And, um, you know, you're right. Unfortunately, we've missed, uh, many of those targets and we've, you know, those targets have been very ambitious. Um, uh, current targets, you know, 30% of the world's natural landscape, um, conserved or protected by 2030. And that is quite ambitious. Um, I hope it's not too ambitious. I think, you know, it's it's perhaps a matter of timing, uh, willpower, uh, funding, uh, priorities. We you know we just got into the last couple of years a of pandemic that threw things you know for a loop for everybody. So it's it's really been unfortunately um, while we say that we we need to make this happen, um, I think it you know, it's just been delayed and there's been many factors involved. The good thing is, is that the conversation is still happening and the conversation is ramping up. And that's why COP15 is such an important um, reassessment of of the targets that we made. And then looking back and saying, okay, you know, we were pretty ambitious. Can we still reinvigorate those targets and what's it going to cost and who's going to be involved? Because it's, it can't just be You know, us, Nature Conservancy of Canada, it's got to be a whole of society approach across Canada. And it's got to be everybody involved because we can't, we can't do it by ourselves. And no one entity can do it by themselves. Mm. It's, um, it, it's, it's a really important conversation. And I think the good thing, the optimism that I have is that people are talking about it. And if one good thing could come out of the uh, COVID 19 pandemic was that as we were holed up in our houses and and sitting there we realized how uh reconnection to nature was for all of us i think and you saw that impact you saw how our public lands and parks got you know pretty overrun with people and we recognized and i think it really came to the forefront that hey we don't have a lot of nature left and so we really got to figure out ways to conserve it the best we can.
2: Hmm.
1: We've had uh, conversations over the, the couple of years that we've been doing this show and, and not necessarily endeavoring to have conversations about biodiversity, but, but that's what they've wound up being is, is reminders of what's happening. Mean, I remember talking to an ornithologist. I think he was out of New York city uh, talking about buildings and bird deaths. And it was actually a completely discouraging conversation, but a great eye opener um, and, and understanding more about the decline in bird populations. And, and then we've talked to some oceanographers and, and, and divers and, and remarkable National Geographic photographers. We, we talked to an expert about octopuses and, and understood more about marine life and the decline of some of those populations. We've talked about commercial fishing and the impact that that's having on our oceans. When you look around, your jurisdiction, as mentioned, with, with the NCC is, is, is Alberta. When you look at the prairies, when you take a look at Western Canada, in the context of biodiversity... What are the red flags you're seeing? What are some of the encouraging storylines you may be seeing? What are the stories that people need to know about?
0: I think I think one of the most important things for Albertans to realize, especially when we're talking about uh, the prairie provinces and temperate grasslands, um, temperate grasslands, as many people may not know, are one of the most endangered ecosystems in the world. And in Canada, um, I mean, all of our prairies are essentially that ecosystem of temperate grasslands. And unfortunately, we only have about 24% of those intact native grasslands left. And um, I think what our goal would be, um, as Nature Conservancy of Canada, but also with our partnerships, um, to try to conserve those remaining 24% of native grasslands because once they're lost, uh, very hard to to recover and restore back into a into a native grassland. Uh, Tom, prairie ecosystem. Tom, what's
1: the what's what's the threat there? Is, is it the, the, is it development? Is it uh, is, is it like farming? Is it tilling? Like I, what what is it that's threatening the grasslands specifically?
0: Yeah, the number one threat unfortunately is is cultivation and conversion uh, through other development as well, but but it really is um a threat of cultivation. And it's a really tricky conversation to have because we need food. We need, we need annual cropping and we need farming. but we also need to think about how we how we plan our landscape so that we can both conserve these really important ecosystems like the grasslands, but yet provide a sustainable food model. And that's why uh, that's why you know looping back to the first question of where I grew up on a, um, on a cattle ranch, uh, we can still get very good biodiversity and conservation outcomes and yet still have a sustainable um, food production lifestyle through the through raising cattle, bison, sheep, other other livestock. So. So you can have a sustainable use and still get very good biodiversity and conservation outcomes.
1: What are the how how significant are the are the tweaks or the changes that would have to occur? And, and you know what people always wonder right is like how does this impact me? That's what people want to know, whether we admit it or not. So when the Nature Conservancy of Canada, I was reading some releases that have been put out by the group, and and obviously they're looking to get you know the the country's attention on this, uh, leading up to COP in Montreal that kicks off tomorrow. There's a lot of talk about a whole of society approach, you know, which leads me to believe that the message is something different than industry needs to figure it out or lawmakers need to figure it out. Right.
0: Well, and it it is a whole society approach. So we're trying to partner with pretty much any uh, group of people and whether it's public or private to, to try to make conservation happen, including other land trusts. We've got some partnership projects with Ducks Unlimited Canada right now that we're, we're working on in Southern Alberta. So um, the, the real challenge here is, is getting everyone on board. And unfortunately, it costs a lot of money to be able to do this. So the way we work in conservation um, at NCC, we we do it through habitat protection and that's securement. And securement happens through, through either land is donated to us or we purchase, uh, purchase land with a donation component. Or we also uh, do conservation easements, and those conservation easements are uh, worked with landowners, mainly ranchers again, um, uh, who can still own the land, uh, maintain you know their ranching business, their ranching lifestyle, and yet we've protected the land so it won't be converted. But what it takes, it takes, it takes people like us, land trusts like us, it takes governments to have support. It takes. Society, individual, and corporate donors. I mean, we um, we live off of private private donations to do this work. Yeah, I was gonna and say like. Need- a-
1: to be honest, it takes people that are loaded, right? That have, so, that have, like, to be frank, real talk, it takes people that have so much fucking money and land that they can just let it go, uh, which, which I'm, I'm not being cynical, I'm being serious. Actually, that is what we need, and it's wonderful when people agree to do that, but the onus is on the individual that has the deep enough pockets or the resources to do it.
0: Well, in some degree, I mean, um, everybody can be involved, whether, you know, any donation can happen um yes you can have a larger impact if you've got more to give um but a landowner for example can donate a a partial interest in their land and get a tax receipt for that that goes against you know income that they make which has a has a tax advantage for them so it doesn't it it doesn't matter as much on the size and yes of course we we really want the people who who have the money to be able to give and the generosity and of course you know the shared value in in having meaningful conservation happen because of that donation absolutely but but we also you know we get a lot of support from from governments and what's really interesting in alberta i'm very lucky to be working in in this province is the government of alberta has been probably the strongest out of any provincial government across canada uh the strongest support financially um, as well as actively in terms of policy for for conservation. What would it's be been, can you give us an been example? Been very I mean, interesting. It's,
1: it's so hard for people that are that you know try to keep their eye on the legislature, they try to watch politics. Can you give us like a tangible example of a, of maybe a, a provincially funded initiative or program that you went There it is. That's what I'm talking about. That's the right track.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, the government of Alberta set up the land stewardship fund, and the land stewardship fund helps us fund uh, a program called the Alberta Land Trust Grant Program. And that program um, funds approximately $10 million a year in conservation, but it's what that does for Nature Conservancy of Canada and other land trusts. It allows us to work with landowners primarily on conservation easements um, and, and have that seed funding to attract private investment, Government of Canada investment to to essentially make conservation happen. And uh, over the last 10 years, the government's invested just under a hundred million dollars in conservation, uh, through the land trusts us as delivery partners, um, which has benefited not just conservation, but, uh, the ranching economy. It's allowed, um, communities to thrive, to have these natural landscapes intact. Um, it's, it's as i said brought in private investment uh from both individuals and corporations and so so that investment is integral to to attracting a greater investment into conservation and and really you know it's it's benefiting not just those people directly involved but it's benefiting all of us because i you know one of our new slogans when nature thrives we thrive sure. and that's certainly true uh when we think about something like sustainable ranching or just having these opportunities for us to experience nature through having nature available to experience.
1: (laughs) Tom, we've had uh, also some really fascinating conversations uh, on the show. I I think in particular of a couple on wildfire management uh, using indigenous knowledge and indigenous traditions. Um, How would you say over the, over the years? And as we look now to, to 2020 into 2023, you know, following some of the national conversations we've had, the grappling that we've done uh, that started with, you know, the, if I say the number 215, everybody knows what I'm talking about. or in Shirt Day, more and more people are talking about, uh, you know, the, the on the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation and everything else, what that means to us, how we are implementing some of the calls to action, etc. Uh, how much of a, of a factor is reconciliation in in. Biodiversity and, and the environmental conservation in Canada. Do you think, and what role are in, are Indigenous people in Canada playing in these initiatives?
0: Uh, so, so for your first question, I think it's integral to what how we do conservation um, from di- this day forward. We need to have um, partnerships with Indigenous peoples across Canada, and while we are a science driven organization um, in terms of land management and biology and priority landscapes. Um, There's a component missing and that's traditional knowledge and we need to be able to incorporate traditional knowledge into conservation and stewardship. Um, We are just embarking on ourselves, NCC is a national organization in Alberta in particular, um, how we do Indigenous engagement and how we support Indigenous-led conservation. Um, and, And it's going to be different for for every um indigenous community that we work with and we're just we're just in the beginning stages of this trying to build relationships and really find out what uh is meaningful for our indigenous partners to to uh, how we do conservation and that's everywhere from reconnection to the landscape through hunting gathering ceremony and space uh to perhaps um, partnerships on um, on habitat protection and, and securement. So um, how we do that, um, it's going to be integral to what we do. It's the right thing to do and, and we're just we're just starting. we're, we're trying to figure this out. Um, and we're pretty excited about it. I think it's really, really important.
1: Tom, before I thank you for your time, is there any key point? I mean, we're, we're on the eve of the conference, right? I mean, it kicks off tomorrow. Uh, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that as soon as this interview ends, you're going to go, I wish we would have touched on that. Anything we're going to leave on the table at risk of?
0: I'll just phone you back, Ryan. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> um, I, think, I think maybe what I want to leave people with is that um, while we're still experiencing biodiversity loss and nature loss, we do have this opportunity um, as a society to either stop it or even even restore some of these key landscapes we we need to start thinking longer term beyond what our lives are and try to provide this opportunity for access to nature to the next generations that come after us Um, you know that i heard a rancher say um, you know, we're just borrowing uh this this land from the next generation. So can we leave it in as good or better condition uh, for them so that so that they can continue? and And I certainly uh, hold that, hold that to my heart to try to try to think of how we can continue to do this because as I said, um everything we do our existence, we forget, We've become a little bit disconnected from nature. Mm. And everything we rely on um, is based in our natural uh, environment. And without nature, we will not survive. And that's the reality. Mm.
1: Tom Lynch, Staten, a conservationist, uh, longtime Cattlemen as well. Long family history there with the Nature Conservancy of Canada. You can check out natureconservancy.ca. You can give them a follow on Twitter by following the handles that we push out every morning in promotion from our official account at Real Talk RJ. Thanks for making time for us, my man. We appreciate it.
0: Thanks a lot, Ryan. You bet. Appreciate
1: it. Hey, I want to say, I see in our live chat as well, uh, one of our just phenomenal audience members, I had a chance to meet her in person earlier this year, Sharon Morin, who is in Egypt at COP27, looks like she's she's telling us in the live chat right now, I love when this stuff happens live, Johnny. And I had reached out to Sharon. This is a great reminder for me. Uh, I said, hey, we want to hear about your time in Egypt. So maybe what we'll do, Sharon, we'll do this off air, so to speak, but I'll get in touch with you and let's make sure we either talk to you while you're there in Montreal or we'll get you. to check in when you're back she's going to be bringing a metis perspective it's always wonderful i mean obviously i like that tom was using the word integral there when we talk about indigenous perspectives that's going to be a huge part of the conversation when we talk about biodiversity when we talk about tradition on the land when we talk about approaches to healing nature right i feel like i'm stating the obvious do we all agree on that right (laughs) i think we do i hope we do uh, a lot of people are, you know, I mean, I saw that Randy in our live chat was making good points. Uh, Randy says, hey, I find it interesting that capitalism got us into this mess like 200 years ago. And, uh, and, and everybody's sort of now hoping that capitalism can get us out of this mess. Uh, Randy says it won't. Land back is for a reason. Leslie says, I haven't eaten meat in years. I feel a lot better without it. I'd rather see wild animals than cows, but that's just me. I know not everybody feels the same. That from Leslie... Neil says, I would hope that the multitude of indigenous communities across the country, not only a stakeholder in this conversation, but in some ways leading the conversation. And if this is not true, why? That from Neil. Yeah, great and fair question. Yeah, I appreciate this. Tracy's brother-in-law involved in creating more wetlands and has been digitizing his operation for others to study. How cool is that? Man, we've got a really cool edition of The Leading Edge coming up.
2: I can't wait for that. Presented
1: by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Talk about digitization, talk about changing the game and making things accessible. And oh my gosh, this is such a cool story. Neil follows up and says, what are we doing in the school curriculum to empower the next generation to execute a real plan when it comes to stewardship and conservation? I don't know why when I hear the word curriculum, my stomach just kind of (laughs) sinks.
2: It's one of those words. I want to
1: have faith in the process of the curriculum redevelopment in our province and of course we recognize we have people tuning in from across the country right now that may find themselves in similar or different circumstances Chris Clearfield in just a second we're going to talk about this this bankruptcy of the FTX exchange if you've been paying attention to this it sent shockwaves through the crypto community and it's it's got a lot of people trying to make sense of what the future looks like and well Chris has a, a zoomed out view on this he takes a look at why systems fail that's what his whole book is about meltdown what plane crashes oil spills and dumb business decisions can teach us about how to succeed at work and at home that's coming up in just a quick second that conversation presented by Apex Automation who invites you to check out their website apexautomation.ca today y- you can check out some of the partners that they're working with, and some of the processes that they're involved in, including the burgeoning field of autonomous vehicles and machinery. I mean, this is the future, my friends, and the future is now. And that means that it, it, potash mining in Saskatchewan or all sorts of robotics operations across the country, across North America for that matter, pipelines, natural gas processing, material handling like overhead cranes, conveyor belts, Apex Automation is giving people back their time by automating the more mundane or dangerous tasks. They're also put a huge priority on the team environment, which is why so many professional engineers are looking to Apex Automation for new opportunity. The best career move you make could be a move to Apex Automation. You can check them out online today. At Friesen Brothers, there's a couple of big things we want you paying attention to. Uh, probably most significant for right now if you're going to be entertaining over the holiday seasons. Uh, we're inviting all kids to help us find Jerome the Gnome a home for Christmas. That's right. He's moving around the store in the weeks leading up to the holidays, Johnny. Jerome the Gnome. Jeez. Jerome will roam. For your chance to win Jerome and his candy stash, kids, just fill out there he is right there at Friesen.com. Just fill out an entry form at customer service saying where you saw Jerome the Gnome. And they're going to draw a winner for each of the 16 Friesen Brothers stores on December 21st. Twenty first, Check out Friesen.com slash Jerome. And don't forget the Christmas dinner box, Christmas gift boxes as well. Customizable, fully, all available. You can check out the details online from our friends at Friesen Brothers all this talk about sustainability, you know which one of our partners, I mean, this is exactly what they do. Kubi Energy, Kubi Renewable Energy is providing solar energy solutions to power your life. It's cleaner, solar is, than fossil fuels. There's no debate there, right? Solar systems are a renovation that will increase the value of your home. They're going to pay for themselves. And by the way, you're also gonna be able to cut back on your electricity cost and your reliance on energy companies and their unpredictable rates. You can learn more about what going green, going solar could look like, including a 0% interest loan from the federal government to get those panels up there today at kubieenergy.ca. And of course, we also wanna remind you what's happening at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. This is what we feed our pets this is what moses and monroe eat every single day can i say something that means more than that i don't think so this is what we feed our family members why because we've seen the health impact time and time again now they've got some great blog entries there and it can sort of help you make an informed decision on building a raw diet for your dog or even your cat I'll give you a hint. Variety of protein is really important. And the team at Grand Dog is experts on how to make that happen, including if you're feeding a blended diet of kibble and raw. You can find all the details online, plus order the promo code REALTALK, 10% off your order, delivered to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta at granddog.ca. Whew. Nice job by the Real Talk studio band on that one. <laughs> Jerome the Gnome. Jerome the Gnome. <laughs> oh, man, this next story, I feel we're just like rolling in hot to to, to an absolute disaster here. Mm-hmm. Uh, described as, I think, uh, a, a mix of like a plane crash and a bit of a Ponzi scheme. Uh, by our next guest who contributed to an opinion piece in The Globe just a short time ago, Chris Clearfield helps leaders use curiosity to change the way that their organizations work. So he's a coach and he supports executive leaders in in attending to you know social and technical aspects of their work uh, to solve complex challenges. He's uh, taken a look at and guided leaders at some of the world's most interesting companies like Etsy and Netflix and Microsoft. You might have heard of them. He's also the co-author of a book called Meltdown, which was named a best book of 2018 of the Financial Times. He's a graduate in physics and biochemistry from a small university on the eastern seaboard known as Harvard. And it's nice to see you back on the show, Chris. Thanks for making time for us.
3: Yeah, great to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, can you give us a perspective check? I mean, I, I'm I'm using uh, I don't think it's hyperbole, but but I'm I'm using employing euphemisms, plane crashes, and Ponzi schemes, and disasters, and collapses uh, mm-hmm. to describe what happened with this, this FTX crypto exchange. But but like billions of dollars, uh, in a sense, kind of were vaporized, right? Can Can you set the table for us for those that aren't 100 percent familiar with the story?
3: Yeah, well, so FTX was a crypto exchange run by a guy called Sam Bankman-Fried, who goes by SBF. Uh, nice to have those acronyms in there. Um, and, you know, what was interesting about it is in many ways it was sort of, you know, held out as the kind of stable, ethical crypto exchange, right? They were, SBF was was trying to get, you know, regulators. He was trying to get regulated. He had cozy relationships with um Uh, Folks in Washington donated a lot to the Democratic Party. And so in some sense, his his whole business was this kind of play for legitimacy. Um, But it turns out that behind the scenes, there was, you know, this mix of kind of um, well, I mean, we we don't we don't know exactly yet, but certainly um, disorganization, a lot of complexity, um, a lot of interrelationships between these different companies that he ran. Not only was there FTX, the exchange, but there was also a hedge fund that did a lot of trading on the exchange, which he he founded and then kind of let go of direct control over. But you know, it was controlled by the person essentially working next to him. So the whole thing is kind of a mess. And I think as I started to to follow this story along with others, what what kind of dawned on me was that you know this is this is not a new story, right? This is um this is like Madoff. This is like the the Enron bankruptcy. It is sort of a group of, um, smart people that are on some spectrum of, you know, floppiness to outright fraud. And, and, you know, that's for the kind of courts to decide where exactly they are. But, but really at the heart of this is this, this whole kind of complex ecosystem and, and this, you know, this idea that what these people were, were doing and were trading and were loaning money based on it were these cryptocurrencies that are, you know, yes, they have value, but also they're made up. So, so it's a, it's a weird market that has a lot of um, kind of ability to to manipulate built into it.
1: So my assessment or my understanding of this will most certainly be in layperson's terms, okay? But but my understanding of this is that so there was this this uh, possible merger, right? Some people I think saw it as inevitable with a what was a rival crypto exchange called Binance at the time, right? And and yeah. as as my understanding goes when when the Binance team had the opportunity to open up the books for FTX the whole thing fell apart uh now now to 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 dismiss this simply as a scam or a scheme seems a little bit simplistic, but what's your understanding of this and and what red flags should people have seen like when you talk about organizational meltdowns uh where right. should this one have have first become apparent
3: now in retrospect well it's a it's a good question and um I mean what's interesting about it is how much coverage i mean how much journalist coverage that there was of this before the meltdown and you know spf like the word puff piece um you know kind of kind of comes up in the coverage retrospectives over and over and over again you know the so so yes you're right when when binance came in and sort of opened the books up you know what they saw was basically that there were a lot of liabilities not backed by any assets and and or not backed by nearly enough assets. and many of the assets that were backing them on paper were stakes and cryptocurrencies that actually weren't worth anything. So, you know, it's kind of like if, if, if we invented a, a Ryan coin and you gave me some Ryan coin and I loaned you a bunch of money, well, you know, what's, what's Ryan coin worth, but it turns out n- not that much. I mean, Ryan coin, of course, would be worth a lot, but sure, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, this is, yeah. this is sort of arbitrary, but I, I think when it comes to the red flags, I mean, what I think about is, you know, not only were there billions of dollars of, of, customer money coming into these organizations but but also billions of dollars of venture capital funding coming into these organizations and and that to me I think is something that that um you know many folks are surprised by that that this you know these billions of dollars of venture capital money doesn't come with any kind of requirement to um you know even like ha- have a have an accounting system right that that to me is kind of that like breaks my brain a little bit
1: uh, you, you you write, and I mentioned, and, and our audience should, I think, just read your piece in its entirety. Globemail.com uh, reads the headline, FTX Crypto Crisis Like a Plane Crash and a Ponzi Scheme. There's a lot we can learn from it. There's one line in particular that, that I think this audience needs to hear, and that is that the FTX implosion is an important story, even if you're not a crypto enthusiast. Because I know people that are so bullish, and, and by the way, Chris, none of them want to call it crypto because none of my friends are big on crypto some of my friends are huge on bitcoin and they will say bitcoin and crypto are completely different conversations and no bitcoin maximalist would ever use the word crypto they only want to talk about bitcoin but then there are other people that go this is not for me i don't understand it i don't invest in things i don't understand it's way too volatile and and it is very volatile, right? Uh, I mean, you can gain or lose four hundred percent on your holding over the course of a few months. I mean, that's just a wild ride. But you say that this is important, basically, for everybody to understand.
3: What's your argument? Well, I, I think that what's what's you know what has happening here is this this interconnection and this this the ability for these knock on effects to happen so quickly. Um, and, and that is not limited to our, that is not limited to the FTX story, right? That is the kind of story of our age that as things get more complex, we, we, we start to kind of not be able to understand if you're, if you're working on a system, whether it's a, a supply chain or an engineering system, or, you know, even a system around kind of how you hire and fire people at work, if, if you can't write it up on a whiteboard, right, then it's complex. That's kind of one simple definition. It's sort of too hard for any person to to hold in their mind. And then, you know, look, we're in this era where we don't have any buffers anymore. We don't have, you know, buff- like kind of capitalism, you know, sort of squeezes the buffers out of everything, right? We want things to be efficient and fast and all of these things. And so when you have this system that's complex, and, and it doesn't have buffer, then these small errors can kind of propagate out and and really the only thing we can do is recognize when we're in a system like that accept that and then start to dig into it right start to learn about it start to be curious about it instead of saying you know if you're somebody who's in a leadership position kind of this is the way things are and then expecting that that's how they are you've got to flip that around you've got to start to ask like the folks that work for you you know what are you seeing what's going well what's not going well because if you can't get people to talk about these kind of leading indicators, the the things that they see and sense are going wrong, then you really don't know if your system working well or is it not working well.
1: You talk about the potential to redesign and simplify systems, Um, and you're not just talking about finance, right? Right. I mean, you're you're talking generally speaking. So you you write so that we can avoid producing endless sequels of the same kind of failure. And, and I want to wrap with this because you have like again the, the cover of your book says it all. And I and I think it's fascinating because you're you're tying together all of these things that that other people would would, would suggest. People like me at first glance have nothing to do with one another. Like a like a you know a, a plane crash and an oil spill. I, I mean, what do those have in common? I, I guess systems failure. Is what you're going to tell us, but when it comes to addressing that sort of a thing and and, and redesigning and simplifying uh, systems writ large, uh, what does that look like?
3: Well, yeah, I think I think it's about taking that idea kind of just just one level deeper and recognizing that you know when when you look at um, like what 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 was happening with the 737 Max uh, a couple of years ago, though, those plane crashes caused by you know, these systems that kind of hid what was going on from the pilots in in some sense. That's a, a facile way of putting it. But but and then you look at something like the, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill or, you know, even a kind of more minor incident like a, 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 a pipeline leak or something like that. Like part of what's happening is these systems are are big and complex. And like we can't send somebody in to go take a look at what's going on. You know, in Deepwater Horizon, you can't send somebody to the bottom of the ocean to like double check that things are okay. You have to rely on models and indirect indicators and all of these things. And so I think really the, the first step is just awareness, recognizing when the system that you're operating in is, um, is a complex system and is a system where you can't control it and you, you don't even necessarily understand kind of in any kind of depth or detail what's going on in the different parts. You 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 don't see these connections um that, that may be happening kind of behind the scenes. Um and and, and you know that was the case at at, at um, FTX and Almeida, the, the the hedge fund that they were associated with, you know, they had these connections behind the scene. They have these connections throughout the industry. And again, that's why when I was kind of sort of experiencing this story along with everybody else, it was like, oh this is just the same thing over again.
1: Do you hold any crypto?
3: No, I don't. Would you ever? I mean, I won't say I'd never hold it, but it's not. Um, it's not something that is like it's not an appealing. Uh, I, I I I feel like you know. I feel like I come to this story as a kind of crypto outsider, but 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 part of that's what what gives me the ability to have this zoomed out perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, we want to hear it from different perspectives. Like, I, I I like talking to people that are so bullish on it and trying to pick their brain and understand why, and I like talking to people that are adamantly against it that would never touch it, and then I like talking to people like me that are like intrigued by it. I mean, if if you read the white paper, you know that that sort of like ushered in Bitcoin, it, right? It, like it, it's a quick read. I think it's like eleven pages or something. People can read it. It it it's brilliant. I mean, it is. Right. And then you see things like Dogecoin and all the scams and the FTX collapse. And then you're like, like, I just it's all just a bunch of noise, you know?
3: Yeah. And and I think that's a fascinating way to put it, because, you know, there is a there there. Right. There is like there is something there when it comes to Bitcoin. I mean, you know, I have a friend who's just so deep into the mathematics of this stuff that that, you know, I get I get lost after a couple minutes talking with him. But. But it's clear when it comes to Bitcoin, there's a there there, right? And it's clear when it comes to some of these other um, cryptocurrencies, you know, Ethereum has a huge ecosystem and it is kind of a distributed computer. I mean, that's, it's sort of a wild concept, Um, but you know, it's, maybe it's like the gold rush, like maybe that's a good analogy. Like, yes, there are, you know, yes, there's something there, right? There is, there's gold somewhere out there and people will, will pay for it. But for most people, the experience of the gold rush is, you know, a lot of work and kind of, um, you know being uh, exploited by the people that that sort of own the system right and and maybe maybe that's a good analogy mm. uh here
1: oh man that's reminding me of cannabis investing that's what that's reminding me of i'm laughing so i don't cry man i was just talking yeah, tell me, tell I was, me about well it. i was just talking to a buddy just the other day and and um i mean i can name some specific stocks i mean probably auroras the biggest one but but i know that there were people that were in at at like pennies and there were people that were in at twenty five cents, and and then there were people like me that were in. It. I bought it two sixty seven, bought it two dollars and sixty seven cents, and it shot up to eighteen bucks. And uh, why would you sell when you think it's going to seventy? And so everybody was counting their money. But but you know who got out was like all the big players and all the people that made a ton of dough on a stock like Aurora. Um, a lot of times were the people that you thought would be there for the long ride, like the the CFO and the CEO and all of these executives that pulled millions of dollars out. And and quite frankly, uh, in a lot of ways, and I'm not a stock expert and I'm not a finance expert, and this is just my assessment as a civilian speaking freely on my independent platform, um, they left a bunch of people holding the bag and and Aurora has been a total disaster. And it's it's always strange to me when you look at, People that were in the leadership positions in that company and people say, well, how did like Terry Booth make like tens or hundreds of millions of dollars on Aurora? And they go well, like, oh, yeah, he got out early. Well, that's kind of weird to hear about the CEO of the company that you invested in, that the reason that he was successful was because he got out early. Uh, that that to me is just I know that there have been a lot of people the I mean, quite frankly, the legal cannabis story in Canada, um, it's within its first five years ish. And, uh, like, it's been fascinating to see legal operators really having a, a tough time, you know, mm-hmm. maintaining profit or achieving or maintaining profitability. I'm ranting now. I recognize. Um,
3: but you have re- an independent platform. That's okay.
1: You, sure. I mean, that's kind of why we're here. Uh, <laughs> the retail side of legal cannabis has been an interesting one. Everybody was trying to get a, a lease agreement. Everybody was trying to get a license to operate because you would think it would be a license to print money. I mean, who wouldn't have wanted to open a liquor store three years after Prohibition ended, right? Right. Um, But the, the gray and the black markets still thrive in cannabis. Um, you know, I believe that people personally should target Joy Botanicals, which is a company that I have a private interest in, and I'm just ab- I'm just abusing our platform now to advertise for them. And we can't <laughs> advertise cannabis. I'm just casually mentioning them. Uh, but there's great work being done in legal cannabis, Chris. But the fact of the matter is, is that the 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 industry is is really really like. Let me just say. Uh, If you were to come upon a shipwreck, uh, the person that had been treading water for like three days and was just about to drown, that would be the legal cannabis industry in Canada right now. And uh, it's just a tough one for people to wrap their
3: minds around. Well, and and I think there's something, you know, there's I I love that you've made this analogy because I think there's something, um, you know, when you think about crypto and when you read the story of um, of FTX and when you see the other exchanges and the other parts, you know, people that were originating crypto loans and all of these things. I mean, there was such um, there was such kind of a, such a, a push of money into this space that I think, you know, anytime it's like the the subprime mortgage crisis, right? Anytime you get money pushing into a space, one of the things that happens is people start to take kind of more and more risks, right? And then they're kind of encouraged to take more risks. And the whole system is sort of pushing them to take more risks. And I think it was um, Chuck Prince at, at Citi who... Who, um, I, I might get this quote not quite right, but basically, you know, you, you got to keep dancing until the music stops. And the whole thing is you don't want to be the last person there when the music stops. And I mean, that's, that's the story that, that you're describing. It sounds like,
1: yeah, I'm just looking at Aurora stock. I don't even know why I'm doing this. It's like, <laughs> It's Your like when face. you get—it's like you get yeah, a rit- bad, ritual,
3: you, ritualistic. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you get like a bad MRI, and
1: you just can't stop looking at the lump. That's what this feels like. So Aurora stock is down just nine percent just today, uh, trading at a buck seventy. But I'm not a stock guy, Chris. What's it called again? Where like you got to divide that by ten? And I think they're trying to like make the stock look better. So it was like if you had ten shares a couple of years ago. They oh became, yeah, they did a split or something. Did, yeah, whatever you call it. So if you had like ten shares, it became one share.
3: Oh, they did a reverse split. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, like, don't
1: don't look at a dollar seventy and go. Oh, Jespo bought it in at two sixty seven and now it's a buck seventy. No, it's like the equivalent cents. is it seventeen cents, cents, cents for you. Yeah, it's seventeen <laughs> cents, and it was at eighteen bucks. And my buddy's <laughs> girlfriend, now his wife, she said, hey, because we, we we made the agreement to all buy in together. And this is just me lamenting. This is just story time. Don't don't feel sorry this for is me. This great. Fine. I can I can hold this is, this is just story time. And it was like, you know, it was like at eighteen bucks, and she's like, do you think we should sell? And I was like, no, don't sell. Like, no, it's going to like 60 or 70. Do not sell. And then she quietly (laughs) sold and she made all her money and none of us did. And she's always, she's kept it classy ever since she's kept it classy, but there's just that, that knowing smile on her face, you know, yeah. that's all right. <laughs> hey, some, sometimes, sometimes. Does she offer to pay for things? I'll get this right. Yeah, I'll yeah. Get this. We'll just remind her. <laughs> hey, why don't you use your Aurora profits to buy lunch for all of us? Oh, I digress. Sometimes it feels good to get it off our chest though, doesn't it? Yeah. Right. You can learn more about what Chris does by checking out clearfieldgroup.com. He's got these really neat free lead curious open house opportunities for leaders interested in deepening their ability to solve their most complex challenges. You can find him on Twitter. And of course, make sure you check out his book, all of the information in the description of this episode on YouTube or the podcast. If you like what you've heard from Chris, smash that like button, my friend. We'll talk to you again sometime soon.
3: Hey, Ryan. Thanks a lot. Great to be
2: here. Yeah, you got
1: it. Yeah, I'm not trying to like. I'm not. I'm not trying to solicit sympathy here, I did, John. I, I didn't think you were. No, I'm just, just like this is just the facts. <laughs> These are just the facts. Have I ever told you the the uh,
2: the Aurora story? Many times. This is wild. Well, so, you told me parts and parts. Did I tell
1: you of- that Terry Booth, the CEO at the time, was in my radio studio, sitting across from me, like right when it was going public, mm-hmm. and uh, he couldn't give me cannabis because that was that would be illegal. Um, but he, uh, at the time gave me a couple t-shirts and some lighters with Mm -hmm. the brand on it and stuff like that. And he was like, yeah, you know, he's, he comes on and I do this interview about like, Oh, it's like an Edmonton based company. And they've, they've, they've raised like, you know, millions and millions and millions in capital and they're acquiring all these other companies and Mm -hmm. they're going to be Canada's biggest grower and all this. And I'm like, yeah, that's fascinating. That's interesting. That's fascinating. And then I don't know why that day I didn't go on my iTrade and buy some. Yeah. It was at like 25 cents. Mm -hmm. I don't don't know why I didn't throw a hundred bucks at it or maybe a thousand. Like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't or 10,000. So anyway, (laughs) so like I six months passes Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm at at an NHL hockey game and, and some friends of mine come up and they've got means. These friends have means. And she comes up to me, husband and wife, and she goes, Can I give you a hug? And I said, What's up? She said, Well, we just sold our Aurora stock today. And I go, Oh, and she goes, Yeah, we heard about it on your show about six months. She goes, Yeah, we bought it when we heard about it on, on your show. And uh, she, I go, Oh, yeah. And I go, How'd you do? And she goes, Well, it was like 25 cents when so we bought it. We sold it for like 267 mm-hmm. or like 265 right around there. I go, 10x, not bad. I go, How much did you buy? She goes, 10 grand worth. And I go, Ooh. That's nice. She motions to her husband. She goes, He bought a hundred grand worth. Oh my. Oh my. So I'm working that hockey game the whole time with a pit in my stomach, like, what an idiot. Why didn't and I'm like, I will not miss this boat again. And like so many people do, Mm -hmm. making mistakes and investing, including in real estate, when you've missed a boat. And you vow you will never miss it again. You doubled down the next time. I doubled down and bought it and then saw it continue to rise. Mm -hmm. So I didn't care about missing the first boat because I was like, I mean, of course, you look back and say, imagine Mm -hmm. like when it was like 8x, I was like, it would be 80x. But I digress. I digress. Let's not get greedy until now. Collapse. Yeah. It's just one of those things. Live and learn, man. A few bruises along the way, you know?
2: <sighs> cannabis bitcoin it's all these wonderful ideas like you know giving power back to the people especially with like bitcoin and just cryptocurrency in general you know let's let's get free of the fed let's let's control the economy Transfer right away helping developing nations yeah like, yada, yada, yada. the problem is exactly what our last guest said is that it's incredibly complicated And there's just so many risks that we're now seeing. Like Bitcoin was like, I have friends who, you know, Forex traders, guys who were like trying to get me into Bitcoin. Not that I have a ton of money to put in Bitcoin, but I was just like, I don't know. And I love the idea, too. But it's just now on the flip side,
1: on the flip side, for people that are big on this, that have read the white paper, that believe that that Bitcoin in particular. And I'm not. Listen, we're not. We were sponsored by a Bitcoin exchange um, through that time, like I always want full disclosure. I always want people to know. Uh, I was never telling people to buy Bitcoin. I was saying we don't if you, know if shit you, about Bitcoin. We don't know shit about it. <laughs> if you are going to buy or sell it, we recommended that you bought or sold with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, believe them to be credible. They're publicly traded, etc. No longer a sponsor of the show, uh, but but we and there was nothing wrong there. It was just the expiry of the contract. We speak freely about it. Mm-hmm. And my thing has always been: if you talk to people that truly do believe that the future of finance will involve. Or even be built around Bitcoin. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it will. I'm not saying it won't. Or some form of it. They will argue right now that this is a phenomenal time to buy. It's if you the equivalent would be if you believe that a housing market that, that's in the doldrums mm-hmm. will boom in three years then you want to see prices as low as possible mm-hmm. so you can snap up as many properties as you can. Mm-hmm. I, I realize I'm not talking about the majority of our situations where we're just out snapping up properties. <laughs> I think we are. But you know what I'm saying?
2: Of course. But if you're buying, you want the price low. If you're like, selling,
1: you want it high.
2: The difference with homes is like, you can you can gauge that. Like the population is growing. There's always going to be more homes. Can you With though? Bitcoin though, and crypto, like the Fed, the government's going to create their own cri- cryptocurrency. They're working on it now. So like-
1: Yeah, but the whole appeal of Bitcoin is that it's not government regulated
2: exactly but that's also the scariest part sure (laughs) you know so it's like it's double-edged
1: I guarantee you that there are going to be real talkers that are listening to this I know some of them by name and they're going to hear this and they're going to have strong thoughts and opinions on what we're talking about they're probably some of them going to feel like like we're missing the mark Uh, maybe me more than John
2: I always miss the mark.
1: You can send us an email anytime to talk at RyanJesperson.com. Listen, we endeavor to have informed conversations and candid conversations, real life, real talk. Let us know what you think about what you're hearing here. Every Tuesday, our friends at Leading Edge Physiotherapy reiterate how important they believe innovation to be. It's why we celebrate community contributors, movers, shakers, inventors, innovators that are changing the game. And the world around them. We call it the Leading Edge. And a special World Cup edition of the Leading Edge this week, of course, as billions of viewers around the world are tuning in to the biggest sporting event every four years on planet Earth, we introduce you to a new invention that is allowing those that are visually impaired to enjoy soccer, Australian football, rugby, and other sports played on the pitch. Now, the fervor, of course, of live sports is infectious, but for the millions of fans with visual impairments, it's nearly impossible to follow the action in real time. So this Irish tech startup called Field Division has created this tablet-like device, this device that sits in users' laps, and it allows them to, to feel the ball's movement up and down the field with their fingertips. What? Yeah, it's amazing. It's an opportunity to feel the action like never before they described as a bit like a, a bit of a ouija board uh the cameras that are positioned around the pitch track the ball and relay its position to the device which then vibrates to indicate things like slide tackles, as an example. There's also descriptive audio commentary integrated. They're testing prototypes with football, soccer clubs all around the world, and it's just been named one of Time Magazine's top inventions for 2022. For understanding the hurdles that stand in the way of sporting fans and surpassing, leaping over those hurdles using technology field division is in the spotlight in this week's edition of the leading edge presented by our friends at leading edge physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. I loved, I was watching some videos about that, uh, Mm -hmm. that invention. And there were so many uh, soccer fans, uh, Aussie rules, football fans Mm -hmm. that were saying that they have sat in the stands for years and people that are visually impaired or blind Mm -hmm. uh, sat in the stands for years, listening to the commentary on their headphones and feeling and obviously being being privy to the the vibrations of the stadium or mm-hmm. understanding the cheers but they've said one fellow in particular uh, that it still felt like he was alienated from the rest of the crowd because he couldn't tell exactly where they were on the pitch. Sure. And he's been using one of these prototypes, and, and they have these videos, and you can check them out online. Just just Google field of vision tech, and uh, you can see, I mean, the smile on this guy's face says it all as he's uh, sort of experiencing his favorite sport in a way that he never has this before. Super it's really cool. fascinating stuff, yeah. super cool stuff. I love it. You know, one of the players on this, uh, there's in, in particular, there's a uh, uh, out of Dublin, Ireland. It's called the Bohemian Football Club. Mm. One of their players, his sister, is visually impaired. Mm-hmm. And she was one of the first to receive this prototype yeah. uh, to be able to enjoy her brother playing and to be able to better understand where That's he is awesome. and how he's playing and how the game is going. And I just thought that was so cool.
2: Yeah. It's yeah. almost like our guest yesterday. We're all going to be visually impaired at some point. Yeah. Isn't create, that create all these machines. So I can just be ahead at some point in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <That laughs> being was Brad, wheeled around.
1: Brad Bartko that we talked to yesterday on the heels of International Day of Persons with Incredible Disabilities guy. wasn't that guy unreal? Yeah, like his his uh, his, his uh, passion is uh is infectious yeah. i mean he's just doing amazing work smashing down barriers for people and, and a lot mm-hmm. of work still to be done we appreciated that if you missed that interview go back uh, make sure you check it out of course we we release the highlights every single day from our official twitter account at real talk rj and and you know the show quite frankly wouldn't happen without sponsors like our friends at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and, and sherwood park john have you figured out all your stocking stuffers yet Can I bail you out on something? Can
2: you not put me on the spot? I know that
1: there's a real appreciation for the Dairy-Free Dilly Bars in your house. Now you're going to say, well, I can't put those in a stocking. You know what goes perfectly in a stocking is a Dairy Queen gift card. Yeah, that's right. The Dairy Queen lover in your life can uh, pick up whatever they like. The Buster Bar, the Dilly Bar, the Dairy-Free Dilly, the Blizzard, the Signature Stack Burger Combos, the (laughs) Treats of Pizza, the Blizzard Cake, and more. There's nothing like a treat, hot or cold. Hot Eats Cool Treats from the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. You walk into a Dairy Queen in Palisades, De Mayo Newcastle, Westmount, or Baseline Road. You let them know Real Talk sent you, and you're there to pick up Dairy Queen gift cards, the perfect gift for whomever you're celebrating this holiday season.
2: I'm going to get you one. I
1: like so you, that. So you
2: can have one of your dashboard burgers. You like the dashboard. You know
1: I need to have I need to have an entire Instagram account simply dedicated to Dashboard Dairy Queen burgers. It's just when I get them in the drive-through I have to photograph them cuz they the, They're the only quick service spot where the burgers actually look like they look in the ads. Yeah. And all the other ones just, you know, they're they're thrown together haphazard in Dairy Queen. It's a masterpiece, baby. You know what else is a masterpiece, John? Front yards and backyards designed by our friends at Eden Landscaping. They bring outdoor spaces to life. You want to go, well, what does bringing a space to life look like? Why not check out the services or better yet, the portfolio link on their website at landscapeedmonton.ca. You can check out featured projects like the one in Balmoral Heights. I love this one. It was included in a Greenland garden tour. It features, get this, can you imagine? 100,000 pounds of boulders unbelievable natural beauty and impact you can check out the eye-catching design how they used a pair of dry creek beds to add visual depth and and, and as well to nourish the greenery at their banks and they bottled it this is like kind of like a a stone step down to the fire pit type scenario an alfresco dining area under a cedar pergola a beautiful extension to the home itself. I mean, this is just one project I'm describing. You probably have your own ideas on what yours would look like. Mike would love to hear about them so we can get the design started. You can make contact with Eden Landscaping today at landscapeedmonton.ca. If you're like our family, you're taking a look at the money that's coming in every month and the money that's going out. And obviously, utilities are a big expense, especially through the winter months. It's a great time to visit parkpower.ca today. Get off that regulated rate option that you might be on a variable style rate, right? People are looking for ways to lock in at a rate that makes sense for them right now so they can navigate this uncertainty when it comes to where utilities are at right now. You can compare rates. You can sign up using the promo code 2022 real talk. They'll knock $70 off your first bill at parkpower.ca. And, of course, at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge, a final reminder we want to make for you today. We understand. I've seen it. I was on the QE2 just last weekend. John, there were rigs in the ditch all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, there were there were more big trucks in the ditch than there were cars. <laughs> Isn't that the way that it goes? Yep. You know what I didn't see a lot of in the ditch? Now, I can't make you the guarantee, but I didn't see a lot of Jeeps in the ditch. It's North America's most trusted SUV For a reason. There's nothing that compares with the bang for buck factor of America's best-selling SUV. That's the Jeep Grand Cherokee. Of course, also in the Dodge lineup, there's the Durango. There's that beautiful Grand Wagoneer. And nobody has better selection than the teams at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. You can shop them online today or go see them in person. Let them know you're there because you heard about them on Real Talk. We know, of course, through the day today that most likely you and people that you love and care about will be focusing on the anniversary of that horrific mass shooting at Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal back in 1989. We wanted to let you know that tomorrow on Thursday's Real Talk, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Lise Gotell, professor of gender studies, and she's been involved in some of the national conversations uh, including some of the political policy development in Ottawa around C21 she's an advocate for victims of violence and she's driving conversations about the roots of some of these things that we talk about the things that wrench our guts that break our hearts we're going to get real with Dr. Lise Gotell right out of the gates on Wednesday's Real Talk. We'll see you then.
0: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive Producer Josh Dunford. Technical producer John Hicks. General Manager Katie cook Chivers. Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources Lena Shepard. Website Design Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harman Kandola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.